Gracious Lord, we're like Nicodemus. We come to the word with many questions. Like the Pharisees, we can be captivated by correctness, intent on right answers. So Lord, as we turn to your word, Spirit of God, do not let our desire for information dominate our need for transformation. Let us hear the word and be moved to greater faith and obedience, we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to read from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17. And we're going to read from verses, starting in verse 10. And, and like I said, this will be the last message in this particular part of our study. And next week, we're going to start a new series called Adventus. Adventus is a Latin version of the word Advent. And believe it or not, in church history, it was more common for Advent to last seven or eight weeks than what we know as the four weeks following Thanksgiving. You know, it's funny how the church has fallen in line with the world and we watch Santa Claus go into the Macy's store and then we start counting down to Christmas, right? Well, people counted down to Christmas differently once upon a time. And so our Advent series starts next week and it will focus on the advent of Christ's second coming. Now let's read Acts of the Apostles chapter 17 starting at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him soon, they departed too. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the passage we just read, like I said, is the last part of this series. And what we've been trying to learn is, is how God gets God's mission done. And we've watched the apostles and then the subsequent followers, which would be the disciples, carry out Jesus' mission. And... What we're witnessing right now, I think, is one of the best things that we could read in Scripture about reading Scripture. If you're here on Wednesday nights, you know that I'm fond of saying the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. It's the most accurate and reliable interpreter. So what we learn in this passage is that there's this group of Berean Jews who were open-minded, willing to think and study and discern about what Paul was saying to them. Unlike the same people that were in the synagogue they met in Thessalonica. So I wanna start by asking a question. This is, this is kind of where, where this whole thing is going for me, is if it were possible, I wonder how many people cast votes last Tuesday 
<laughs> and weeks ahead of time and perhaps even after Tuesday, I don't know. How many people do you suppose voted because of their feelings versus how many voted because of an informed intent? What an interesting question that would be if we could get an answer to What an interesting answer that would be, I should say. I'd love to know if there was some way to accurately poll the ratio or the percentage of people who made an emotional decision when they pushed the various buttons on the voting device. How many made a decision that was informed? And then I would ask the informed people, informed by whom? <laughs> And by what? Because that's, that, that's what the Bereans did. They, they heard Paul, and instead of reacting to something that unsettled them and made them uncomfortable, they said, well, he's a scholar. Clearly, he knows what he's talking about. Let's take a look at what he's saying about the scripture, and let's give it some serious consideration. What a remarkable thing that is, and what an unusual thing that is. What I'm talking about, of course, is something known as critical thinking. Now, I really wonder if it'll sound like we're really doing a, you know, biblical sermon, but I promise you, if you think really hard about what's being presented here in the form of the Bereans, I think, I think you can understand why this is an important thing for us to study as we move forward. There's never been a time when I think in my life it was more important for Christians to be discerning critical thinkers. I think that it's a really important thing we do to study the word, to listen carefully to our religious leaders and to inform ourselves about the world through this Christian perspective, this biblical Christian worldview. What's really funny to me is, is that I've reached a point personally where I just don't know who to believe about anything anymore. Is anybody else there? Yep. I don't know who to trust. I really don't. When I watch the news, I instinctively distrust the people who are presenting it to me. When I read the news on my devices and my phone and stuff like that, I, I instinctively distrust the veracity of the various claims. I, I think if you watch what's going on right now in our country, you know, some people are convinced the election's over and some people are convinced it's not. I don't know who to believe. I really don't. Now, Courtney and the praise team sang a song for us that reminded us that Jesus is enough. And that's kind of where I was going with my comments after the song, is it really does come down to, is there any truth that we can find and rely on? Critical thinking is a mental process that's also involving your heart and your spirit, where your seeking truth with integrity. You're doing it for the sake of truth and not so that you can find information that supports what you want to happen or want to think. Critical thinking is defined 
literally as an analysis of facts to form a judgment. The subject is complex and several different definitions exist, but it is generally a rational, skeptical, unbiased analysis or evaluation of factual evidence. That's what critical thinking is. Now, over the years, I've taught a lot of Bible studies and have always just invited people to read the Bible and assume that it says what it means and means what it says, and then to engage in a process of critical thinking and apply information that is trustworthy and true from a variety of sources. You remember on Wednesday nights, we've been talking a lot about Daniel's prophecies about Jerusalem about the temple there, and then Jesus' prophecies about Jerusalem and the temple there. And then I simply invited us to look at the historical record, and sure enough, everything that was prophesied has occurred. And so I invite people to simply do critical thinking. And here's what you'll find interesting is, is that it's been, as I suspected, I've received a few messages from people indicating that they think that I'm doing something really wrong because I'm not supporting openly the standard agreed upon narrative that is based on things that I'm not sure are accurate. In other words, I'm not publicly towing the line that made a certain series of books back in the 90s very popular, for example, okay? Now, please don't think that I'm trying to turn this into something about myself. My point is, is that the one thing I've learned about being a critical thinker is, is that there are always people ready to criticize you for being a critical thinker. Perhaps that's one of the reasons that we have a tendency, even as Christians, to just repeat common narratives and just agree with things that we don't even know for sure we ought to. In other words, it's, it's tradition, it's dogma. Tradition and dogma aren't bad things, but they can be, especially when a person is, is, is modeling their life and their religious activity and their, their core values after things that they're not even sure are true. So how do we find truth? Well, if it's information about the health crisis, the political situation, and a lot of other things like that, I can't give you a recommendation of where you're going to find truth. But when it comes to truth that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, I guarantee you, you can find it in the Bible. And specifically, you will find it in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the truth that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, in order to recognize that truth and to be unwavering in your commitment to that truth, you have to simplify your worldview considerably. But the irony is, is that once you do that, you open yourself up to a whole different perspective. This is what the Apostle Paul called the renewing of the mind. And so... Critical thinking for a Christian is a process of discerning what you see and hear from a Christian biblical worldview. And this is what the Bereans did. 
through their critical thinking, they went from being Jewish critical thinkers to becoming Christian critical thinkers. It was really an amazing thing. It must have been incredible. And I think the reason that the author points out to us that there were prominent Greek women as well as men who received the same knowledge with an open mind and then embraced faith in Christ was, well, they must have been the most skeptical. And that's why they were singled out by the author, pointed out as people who, you know, had a, a, a reasonable objections or reasonable uh, comfort with what they did believe. And yet this was so compelling that they could not help but believe it. Now, this is a very Wesleyan point of view, and the reason that I have called my Bible studies and podcasts and things like that, Knowing God with Heart and Mind, for, gosh, almost 20 years now, is because that is the primary vision of any classes or study that I teach. And it doesn't rely on my efficacy as a teacher or preacher. It relies on your intellect and your willingness to have a holiness of heart and mind. I thought that I would call it that a long time ago because I thought it was the easiest way to get myself off the hook for having all the answers. See, this way I don't have to know everything. I can just stand in front of you and do my critical thinking exercise and then I can tell you that that's what I'm doing and then it's up to you. In other words, it's where I put citations and notations in my preaching notes and in my various other studies that I, I always give you some written artifact to go with it. And the reason I do that is because I assume that you will check me on these things if you have doubts. I assume that you will do your Christian critical thinking. Now, I know in reality that doesn't happen, but that is the way that I've chosen to pursue this. And I do it for selfish reasons, like I said, because it gives me a way of saying, now you have to decide whether what I've been thinking and coming to the conclusion about will fit for you. Which is why I don't mind that I've received a little criticism from people who are saying that I should be more supportive of the status quo interpretation of end times prophecy. And I just smile politely and say, that's all right, make your case. But what about you? Are you ready to be a Berean Christian? These people from Thessalonica, they're, they're given as a contrast because for them, it was dangerous to embrace this radical thinking from these characters who, quote, turn the world upside down. That's what the Christians in Thess or the Jewish uh, leaders in Thessalonica were saying about the Christians is ah, these are radicals that are turning the world upside down. In other words, people were comfortable and somebody was making them really uncomfortable. And the best thing you do when people make you uncomfortable is get rid of them. That's kind of how we operate. It's kind of funny when you think about it in our current times. Now, 
It wasn't enough for the, and by the way, your Bible says the Jews in Thessalonica and the Jews in Berea, but this will translate if you do your little homework or go to the footnotes in the bottom of your Bible translation. What you'll find is that, uh, that it's really referring to the leadership in the synagogues more than just the people in general. So we use that word Jews way too loosely in our culture, especially because it could sound pretty uh, uh, antagonistic and, and, you know, downright hateful. But it's really, you know, in most cases, it's the loudmouths and the leaders of the various entities that we're at odds with. For example, in our world today, it's the extremists that seem to get all the press. And the tendency is for us to assume that that represents a lot more people than it actually does. Critical thinking informs me that there are millions and millions of Americans who have expressed themselves in the voting booth and they represent a very diverse body of values. But that makes for dull news and it doesn't sell much advertising. So what do you see? Just the extremes. Just the extremes, but they aren't the majority. And yet they can really make it difficult. You know, there's a friend of mine who's a, a brilliant New Testament scholar who really believes earnestly that Paul's thorn in the flesh that he describes was probably a person. It was probably a person who after Paul's betrayal of the trust that he held as a Pharisee of Pharisees, a graduate of the best Jewish school of rabbinical study in the world at the time. You know, he, he held credibility that was extremely important, and he betrayed all of that and followed Jesus. And this scholar's belief is that this person had just made it their mission to destroy him, to find something wrong with him, to impeach his character, to get him thrown in jail, get him killed. I mean, they were determined. And it kind of makes sense when you read this story of how this group from Thessalonica follows him over to Berea. And they're especially threatened because the Bereans are thinking carefully about what he's telling them and taking it kind of seriously. And so they gather up a group. How much you want to bet? It's this, I'm going to call him Rabbi Thorne, okay? I'm going to call him Rabbi Thorne or Mr. Thorne. He's followed Paul all over the world to get this dude and get him good. And sure enough, he's rolled into Thessalonica and he said, come on, boys, let's go over to Berea and raise some hell. That's what they were doing. Make no mistake. And Paul and his friends, they, they have to get out of town. But the damage is done because truth seekers don't forget when they've encountered the truth. And so the Bereans have been remembered from that day forward as one of the finest, most noble examples of what a Christian thinker should be like. And, and like I said, this is a very Wesleyan thing to do. I, I embraced this Wesleyan way of being a Christian a long time ago, not because, because it was a part of what I was raised with or by tradition or anything. It was something I chose. And what I liked most from the get-go 
about the Wesleyan way of being a Christian is, is that it's all about holiness of heart and mind. I borrowed this phrase from a really brilliant scholar that I admire very much, uh, the late Ellsworth Callis. He wrote uh, a lot of really great biblical studies, but one that I have taught many, many times over the years that I really love is called Christian Believer, Knowing God with Heart and Mind. And, and he wrote this study, and it was like a 36-week course where you were going to do, you know, an hour's worth of homework every day, and, and it made me like, it's for serious... Uh, lay scholarship. You know, it's like a seminary course for, for people who aren't going to go to seminary. And, and it's all about critical thinking and understanding what it really means to be a Christian in this world of distorted religion and pagan Christianity. Wesley understood that if we're going to fulfill Jesus's command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our soul, our being, and then love our neighbor as self, then it was going to require more than feelings. It was going to require intellectual assent. It was going to require decisions that were informed by biblical tradition and also critical thinking. You know, Wesley's famous for, well, he didn't coin the phrase the quadrilateral, but it was Wesley's way of interpreting Christian living that you would understand the, the Lord God first through Scripture, but then also look to tradition, which tradition was basically building on the foundations of Christian thinking throughout the ages. And then you would go into uh, your own sort of intellectual exercise or critical thinking so that you could come to your own conclusions and maybe contribute to the collective knowledge that makes you part of the wisdom of the ages. And then there was just then your feelings. And this was kind of a Wesleyan way of looking at things. Now, I'm almost done. And all I want to tell you is, is if you ask people on the staff, they'll tell you that they've heard more than one time about Pastor Dan's critical thinking sandwich, okay? See, I believe that you can't make really important decisions based on feelings alone. And what I've learned in time is that many, many, many people make a sandwich where the bread is the feelings and then it's just ever so, ever so thin little strip of facts and that's how they make their decisions but our critical thinking sandwich here especially among your staff at Shiloh is that we would put the facts on top and bottom and then put our feelings in the middle of the sandwich so it's two part facts and one part feelings the feelings are important but facts are still facts and this makes for better decisions and if you think about the discord and the chaos and the things that have happened in the past of this church or, or in the present in your community and in the world community and in the national spotlight, you know, when you look at the chaos, first of all, you know who the creator of chaos is. And the other thing you know is, is that it's all about emotions. It's all about images that stir up your emotions. I know we're all sick of the political ads, but what do they use more than anything to get you to make an emotional decision? Pictures of an angry, pathetic-looking opponent 
What makes you buy that tabloid magazine at the checkout? It's a picture of someone that you want to admire, but it makes them look like they are at their absolute worst in this particular moment. Our eyes will deceive us and stir up our feelings, so we have to use our ears and our minds and our critical thinking skills so we can be like the Bereans. If we're going to live into the promise, we've got to take it like the Bereans did. Study the word, think about what we're hearing, and then act accordingly. Here are just a few examples of the thoughts of the author of Christian critical thinking, the Apostle Paul. He says in Philippians 4, a finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. He says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Remember I talked about that last week. Know the Bible. Know the timeline. Be familiar with the road ahead, or at least surround yourself with people who are familiar with the road ahead. And then watch the signals and the signs. Whatever is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 8, 5, and 6, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. He's describing the sandwich. If you're set upon the things of the flesh, then you're being driven by, family, by your feelings. If you set your mind upon the things of the Spirit, you're driven by the Spirit-informed intellect. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that all these worldly, fleshly arguments are easily destroyed by the knowledge of God, the source of all truth. And that if we keep our thoughts captive by Christ, then we see things the way they really are. To be a critically thinking Christian is to intentionally view the world through the lens of Scripture and the Spirit of God. And question everything within that context. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts and transform our nature. Help us to be renewed in our minds so that we can be Christian critical thinkers, viewing the world through the lens of Scripture and Christian faith, informed by the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.